Hello and welcome to Centrist Dads. My name is Adam Radford. Joining me all the way from Salford is Alex. Hi, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad. We're, we're slimmed down this week. We don't have Kieran, but he will be joining us next time. So don't worry, those thousands of Kieran groupies out there. What have you been up to since last week? Restrictions have eased in the UK. I've taken the opportunity to have a meal inside, go into the pub and just trying to enjoy a bit more normality really and go back to the office which is doing the commute which i haven't done in a very very long time did you miss it not coming back going in is not too bad deansgate to salford university takes half an hour and that's not very long that should take five minutes really if that yeah that's what i bring it up to really all fun and games what's the situation in terms of wearing uh, masks masks are still in effect hopefully on the june 20 on june 21st which is going to be dubbed as freedom day by the daily express great can't wait for that that's that's supposedly the day where masks and social distancing will be gotten rid of but looking at the indian variant and now a yorkshire variant it seems unlikely but we'll we'll have to wait and see what have you been up to? I was procrastinating in, it's like a conservatory that overlooks the garden. And there's this little tree in the garden, right? Mm. One of our cats went up into this tree because it started to rain. Then suddenly I started hearing all this noise. The cat that's 10 months old had gone into the tree to hide from the rain, but found had found a nest. These little chicks started falling out of the tree and it was horrible because it's it was cold. The chicks weren't going to survive on the floor. And there are three cats here. One of the cats knows there's a nest in that tree. Four chicks that fell out from the tree that me and a partner then had to find searching around because they were hiding for their lives. So we took the cat inside, locked, locked the cat inside, and then we're looking around for these chicks. We've got them all now, bought all the things that we need to buy for them. And so, yeah, we've got four birds in the house now. They're green finches, and they only spend about two weeks in the nest. But uh, there, was something, there was something rather eventful that, that happened Very today. Eventful. So Dominic Cummings, who is one of the main brains behind the Vote Leave campaign and Boris Johnson's 2019 rise to power, he was giving evidence today in a select committee. And for those of you who don't know, your grills basically sort of cross-examined and they're there to, to hold the government to account, essentially. And so he was called in to, to answer some questions and the picture he painted was leak one of the things he said was that the health minister should should have been sacked about 15 or 20 times by now for lying on multiple occasions which obviously the health secretary ran away from reporters and has now become an instant meme because he won't answer any questions he confirmed that he heard boris johnson say words to the effect of letting the bodies pile high alex what are the key takeaways from this absolute smorgasbord of government ineptitude that we witnessed today i think before the appearance before the two select committees the health and social care select committee and the science and technology select committee which are chaired by jeremy hunt and greg clark respectively so these are two tory mps that dominic cummings will have seen off really when he was a key player in boris johnson's in a court running mm. for the, when boris johnson was running for the leadership jeremy hunt was uh, of course boris johnson's uh, opposition and Greg Clark is someone mm. who Dominic Cummings ordered the whip to be removed from during that drama of the the Brexit battles in September 2019. So it was, that was that was interesting, and it was also scheduled to be four hours and turned into seven and a half mm. hours, I think it was, which was Dominic Cummings alleges that Boris Johnson didn't lock down in September. He said that the the bodies should pile high. He didn't really care. He alleged that obviously that there was no plan in March. 
damaging uh, allegations about the, the section about whether Trump wanted to bomb Iraq oh, and God, get Britain yeah. involved. So on the same day, there were the Americans wanting to know whether or not we would back bombing Iraq at the same time mm. that obviously response to COVID was being discussed. And then he said, and I appreciate the terminology of was going crackers. I think that's brilliant. We should bring that back. <laughs> Harry Simons was going crackers because the Times had run a piece on her and Boris Johnson's dog. Yeah. This was taking up a, a, an incredible amount of, of time from, from the press office when obviously you need the population to know what they need to do to keep themselves safe. You can't afford to have the press office split by trying to handle a a dog story i don't know about you alex but it just drew to my mind sort of the thick of it so there's all this stuff going on but the thing that is sort of somebody's getting most wound up about is this dog story and you're just like oh just fuck off like we've got bigger things to deal with he praised the amount of talent that, that the civil service has at yeah. junior and mid levels and that they've been let down massively by people in leadership positions which i thought was really interesting because that's that's a very broad attack on potentially a lot of people that he could bring it down on, sort of down down the line. I think my favourite point is when he said the system is fundamentally broken, the political system is fundamentally broken, when voters in 2019 had the choice between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson. Something had clearly gone wrong. Obviously, he didn't care enough about it to not take a key position up in Boris Johnson's government. And it's very easy of him to say that now. But I thought that was an interesting point because I think it's something that a lot of people have felt. Was there anything that he said today that surprised you? I think there were a lot of truth bombs that were just we already kind of knew. Mm. To hear them wasn't a surprise. He, I think the level of vitriol he had in, he had in store for Matt Hancock. Mm. And Matt Hancock, I mean, he is just an absolute lemon. And I think that he... You know, when he when he said that he should have resigned fifteen to twenty times, he mm. said that Boris Johnson was going to sack him in April, but uh, held on. He also said that Matt Hancock showed disgraceful behaviour and mm. set up the stupid target of offering hundred thousand COVID tests a day. I mean, he he really launched into Matt Hancock and tore him tore him a new one. Mm. And I think after that morning, that weird morning appearance by Matt Hancock when he gave that weird wave as he was running. Yeah. Kind of I think he must have known actually that was something was going to happen when he was like anyone over 30 can get their covid vaccination so sign up and all that kind of weird crap he always comes out with. I thought it was interesting that he did not lay into Gove mm. and he absolved Rishi Sunak from any criticism. I think in a lot of respects, Sunak should be praised for the furlough scheme. You could argue perhaps it's still 80%, it's not enough, but you've got to be realistic mm. about things. I think yeah. Sunak and his senior senior civil service team had to had to draw this up from scratch, this, this furlough scheme. So that was, that was interesting. Is he trying yeah. to curry favour with Rushi Sunak? I wondered that, yeah. Because if there's going to be a leadership challenge, then could Cummings get back into government if he... I don't think Cummings could get back into government. I think he's too damaged now. I don't think mm. people would accept Cummings being back in government, certainly in the ministerial side. I think he could be an unofficial advisor to a potential leadership challenge. I think we need to look at why COVID-19 is such a, such a mess in the spring of 2020. Why was it such a, a panic? The easy mm. answer is you know, the British government's initial pandemic plan assume that a suspension strategy would be impossible and that those mm. lockdown measures would not be adhered to. They just didn't think people would have the discipline to go into lockdown and therefore a whole load of people would die and yeah. the NHS would collapse. 
that was the really simple answer to why the pandemic was as bad as it was in that March and April of 2020. But these people, you know, they, they don't strike me as nice individuals. You know, they've been allies. No. They've stabbed each other in the back. I mean, it is politics of the dark arts, really. The accusation towards Boris Johnson, that he just thought it was a scare story. We know that because he wanted to go around shaking hands and he bragged that he shaked he shook the hands yeah. of people in hospital yeah he was in people hospital people laughed when he said that yeah and he, he, they did and he was in hospital two weeks later with an intensive yeah. care very well he could have well been on his yeah. deathbed and he said about um, Chris Whitty injecting him with Covid live on telly that was one of the things that came out today that's, that's very strange really strange going back to the very start of, of what he said there was that Cummings said Matt Hancock should have resigned that's not what he actually said it was a veiled attack at, he said that Hancock should have been sacked 15 yes, to 20 times yes. and I thought the right. wording of that was really interesting because he didn't have to say that because what he's saying there is Johnson should have sacked Matt Hancock 15 to 20 times and he didn't rather than Hancock should have resigned now I'd be happy with either outcome of Hancock resigning or Johnson sacking him. I don't understand why, and I know that this isn't just a UK phenomenon, if you're a minister and you do something incredibly poorly, you get the privilege of being able to resign rather than being sacked. It's just another example of a different rule for other people. There was this sort of Twitter 50 post thread by Cummings before it, um, and there was a whiteboard, and, and on it was, who do we not save? There's a world apart from... Who do we not save and who can we not save? Because one of them says we can't save people because it's too late. That doesn't take away the thought that you should still try. But who do we not save is clear implication that you don't put resources into that, or at least not sufficient resources into that, because you know you're not going to achieve it. And that's obviously a lot more sinister. Nothing nothing that he said today particularly surprised me because you and I are politics freaks. We consume this stuff all day, every day. We love it. I really don't like anything that this man stands for. But I did find myself thinking, God, like, I'm really glad he said that. You know, I'm really glad he's thrown Matt Hancock onto the bus and, he, and he's used it as, a, as an as opportunity to attack the government. But he also did so whilst excusing himself from any responsibility, really. He did apologise. He did apologise, yeah. It's so rare to see somebody apologise. He wasn't as sure of himself. He seemed mm. genuinely humble when he was apologising. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how much I can trust. Uh, I, c I can trust him where self-interest overlaps with the truth, but it's knowing things that I want which confirm my feelings, i.e. Hancock being completely shit at his job, Johnson being inept and spineless, were confirmed by Cummings today. In a, in a universe where we have Matt Hancock, I would rather something comes out where he has to leave as soon as possible. He didn't declare a clear conflict of interest when close family members and in-laws have shares in private health company that was given NHS contracts after he became health secretary. He should have resigned on that alone, let alone the contracts to a friend. So many of the contracts for, for PPE, so personal protective equipment, that's your mask, that's your gloves, were dished out without penalty clauses for non-deliverance. Like, imagine that. Mm. Billions and billions and billions of pounds in contracts, including one to Matt Hancock's mate who used to be a landlord of a pub with no experience in, in manufacturing PPE and no penalty clauses. So what's your incentive to deliver the PPE? And of course, what happened is, in many cases, PP wasn't delivered or it was of the wrong spec uh, or we had to wait as he said today we had to wait months for it to be delivered from China I think that the picture of ineptitude that he painted explains an awful lot why we in the UK had 
such a high death rate. He gave further praise to Professor Chris Whitty. Mm. And no, it was uh, Patrick Valance, actually. Oh, yeah. That uh, he'd worked in the private sector and therefore he understood how it worked with, mm. with, with the pharmaceutical companies and he ordered the contracts to be drafted pretty immediately mm. the government obviously coughed up this money and you see this government investment but they had that contract in place which went to the various pharmaceutical pro uh, companies which we got ahead of the game certainly uh, certainly in europe and ahead of europe so it's 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 interesting and again it's what as you say adam it's we've been we've, we've kind of been looking forward to this event for this day sort of akin to the tony blair chilcott inquiry mm. And the, obviously the Murdoch appearance as well in 2012, I want to say it was. Mm. Dominic Cummings has been tweeting since past week or so mm. in a very long and rambling thread about his praise for junior members of the civil service, as well as giving a bit of a hint of what he was going to say. Mm. You can't say that obviously Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock were blameless. They're clearly not. No one really is from the education secretary, Gavin Williamson. They're all accountable for huge mistakes. Mm. And you could you could say that they haven't really atoned for those mistakes. In, in what kind of atonement? Losing their ministerial careers and their limos? I'm not too sure. But when Cummings was asked by an by a Labour MP, Sarah Owen, is Boris Johnson a fit and proper candidate for Prime Minister? He just gave a flat no. Mm, that was powerful. Cummings is 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 not an unreliable witness because he was there in the room. Mm. This has been viewed as a bloodletting in the media. This, mm. this whole appearance. But this is about bit lessons being learned, really, this this appearance. And I think this has got lost somewhere in that I think it was Kieran mentioned one one of our very first podcasts. There's gonna be more pandemics in the future. I, I feel that when this kind of behaviour and we're kind of focused on the sort of like Game of Thrones, politics of the dark <laughs> dark arts, we're we're losing sight of the track. We're looking for this sort of like big gotcha story where we're looking for cut through against the government and how can Labour respond and get back in the opinion polls and stop a 6% Tory lead in the opinion polls. We're trying to plan for the next pandemic. And mm. I think with things like this, we're not going to get there. I haven't seen what the parties have said in terms of policies towards future pandemic preparedness. And I think it will be an election issue. It must surely be an election issue. There will certainly mm. be some sort of like special pandemic department, perhaps, or sub-department mm. of, uh, of, the, of the health and social care or the business department and, and things like that. It would be a healthy conversation to have for, for countries all around the world to have who were not prepared for it because some countries were and not nearly as many people have died, to put it bluntly. Like it, it, it's effective. You save lives by planning in advance. And I don't like Jeremy Hunt. Here he was sort of setting up the easy the easy knocks for, for Dominic Cummings to give those those sound bites. Jeremy Hunt is a man who left the NHS in the way that he did with 100,000 vacancies. He's not completely absolved of responsibility. No, no, absolutely not. He's got nothing to do in terms of the response after he was dethroned from health secretary. But in terms of the state of the NHS that, that Matt Hancock and God, if, if you don't want a particular person inheriting something that's not fit for standard, it is Matt Hancock. He inherited his minister uh, chronically underfunded, chronically understaffed health service. And what do you think is going to happen when we get a pandemic? So if I was to ask you, what would, what would be the fallout from this? What will come from this? All. The government will do what it, what it always does, hunkers down for a couple of days, and the press just forget it. 
because like we've said before, they maybe they're not doing hatchet jobs on Keir Starmer, but they're praising the government and they're praising Johnson and to make up for it. So I think they will forget about it. Hancock will ride it out. He's loyal to Johnson. Johnson has shown loyalty to him by not sacking him all these times. I don't think there will be any changes. I think there'll be more people called in front of the select committee. Uh, there'll be an inquiry, but it won't be listened to and it won't be a fully independent inquiry, I expect. The only thing I suspect will happen is that there will be some involvement again. I don't think we've seen the, the, the last of Dominic Cummings and I suspect that he will be involved in some way with the leadership challenge by Sunak or Gove down the line. This could be years down the line, though. It could, be years, it could be years down the line. He can hibernate like a frog at the bottom of a pond. He can wait. No, he clearly he doesn't forget. He's no. clearly he's out for blood. He's out for revenge. Yeah. He feels that he's been wronged. It feels like that quote. I mean, he was quoting many films. He quoted Jaw. He quoted Jaws. He quoted um, Independence, Independence Day. Day. And I suppose to quote The Dark Knight Rises, he's like the, the slow blade that sticks in and lingers the most, and then finally twists and is the most deadly. I feel like he he, he tries to go for that kind of angle. The damage hasn't really been done. We haven't felt the damage being done. The government's overall perception may have been initially weak at the the onset of the pandemic and during those initial months. But certainly throughout this year, Mm. the government has come back very strongly with the, the vaccine rollout, which, as we always say, has been very and is widely perceived as being very, very successful. Well, and one of the things you, you mentioned in, in one of the earlier episodes is that psycho- was it a psychologist who said that people remember how they came out of a traumatic... Yeah, it was it was the sort of the behavioural psychology behind... You don't remember the worst part about a crisis, you remember the good part. And it's like this, you can see that with like the Second World War, we've got VE Day, the celebrations, a great Allied victory. We don't remember the, as much as the st- early struggles so much. Mm. Uh, the Falklands War, it was Margaret Thatcher's... Uh, Ministry of Defence, which cut the our forces down and uh, left us vulnerable to a, an invasion because we had nobody guarding or protecting the only very token set of troops were guarding the Falklands, which meant that the Falklands were invaded. Mm. Therefore, her finest hour was the Falklands War, which is a sort of perverse way of th- thinking about it. Reason we had the war was because of her cuts and you know, her austerity. Mm but was also her finest hour, which like, gave her a landslide. It's the same with this. Mm. We've forgotten about all the, the, you know, the Marcus Rashford campaign of calling out the, the shambolic food parcels and uh, school meals. Mm. We're only remembering seemingly as a country this vaccine rollout and going to the pub in the soaking rain. Sorry, you're not, Adam, but we're going <laughs> to the sub- pub in the soaking rain and the cold, and it's, it's, dy- it's dystopian, really. It's mm. just a strange time we live in, really. I, I don't know where it will... What will come of it? Where, where will it end? Almost, it's it's odd. If you, if I could distill Dominic Cummings's take on, on what it was like in government during this, when it was all kicking off, it's when he said there was a deputy cabinet secretary, Helen McNamara, walked into the prime minister's office to say, "Quote: I've come through here to tell you all. I think we are absolutely. F-ed. I think this country is heading for disaster. I think we're going to kill thousands of people." And we did. And we did. And I really wish that she had been listened to. It, it must take an awful lot for somebody to feel compelled to storm into the PM's mm. office and F and Jeff in front of the PM about how much of a serious situation we're in. Matt Hancock will be hoping that people remember him for the vaccine rollout, not for being um, useless. Yeah, I suspect that's what he wants his legacy to be. If he gets sacked now before the vaccine rollout is complete, 
the next person gets it. They get the glory of the vaccine mm. rollout. I honestly think that's it. That's why he's there. I hope we get an inquiry, mm. whether we get one in, t- in sufficient time, this side of the... It's weird to think of the, the election. I mean, but... Uh... Only 700 days now, roughly. Yeah, oh God. Yeah. There's not many laughs to be had, really, with uh, a select committee, uh, especially one about a government that is possibly criminally negligent mm. corporate manslaughter charges was one of the things raised so there's very little laughs to be had there so um yeah uh shall we move on to an existential crisis within the labor party to liven things up keir starmer's been getting advice in inverted commas from everyone from the left in inverted commas to the right and in inverted commas mm. to the centrists in the middle so keir starmer needs to do this this and this next mm. tony blair thinks he needs to adopt big technology that's a given anyone can do that yeah peter mandelson needs to he think he starmer just needs to get rid of the stain of the hard left and that'll bring labor's fortunes back i don't buy that no but what does it really need to do it keeps getting kicked it keeps getting hammered in 2010 it lost all of its marginals that it gained in 1997 and the blair landslide mm. In 2015, it lost Scotland. Mm-hmm. 2017 was an outlier. It lost seats. It lost a handful of seats where there was no universities in there. There was no colleges in there as well. And that's interesting. Mm. In 2019, Redwall Heartlands. I suppose my question to you perhaps is, why does the working class think it doesn't need a Labour Party? You are working class, would you say? I'd say I'm working class. To... Yeah, I, I suppose Just I am working People listening to this think, oh my God, who's this middle class person about to tell me what the working class thinks? I, I've been leveled at me. I'm white and middle class. And okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really culturally get involved in my Persian heritage, but I am mixed race mm. and I am working class. Mm. And, you know, I've, anecdotally, I've lived in my own house that my mum owned. I've known tough times where I've had to live in social housing. Mm-hmm. I don't mind sharing that and I don't mind this being broadcast. Mm-hmm. It's, no, mm-hmm. it's no shame. You know, my mum was always yeah. worked. She raised me as a with the help of tax credits and the hours she put in. Mm-hmm. It's sad when I see, you know, my mum told me that she'd voted Conservative for the first time. Mm. And that Labour didn't give her a reason to vote for them. My dad voted Conservative for the first time. An immigrant, you know, the Muslim vote, if you want to say. He mm. he voted he voted Conservative. And he told me this. And I was just shocked. It was like hearing this sort of on a rainy, wet, sodden, soaking day. And mm. trying to find a seat in the pub. And I thought, looked around and I thought, this isn't a Whitney. This isn't a home counties town. No offence not to say Whitney, but it's not a home counties area that's traditional conservative it's mm. it's a working class town my mum told me that the perception of the party that uh, has moved away from her and it's interested in and you know she she was telling me that she's very distrusting of council culture mm. and the social media obsessed left where people are calling her th- stupid for voting brexit and didn't know what was good for her kind of thing mm. labor was you know it was overwhelmingly defined by economics and class where you stood in society you voted labor politics is defined by culture and values now that's why working class voters who are socially conservative perhaps who haven't been to university that have always voted Mm. labor but found it's not an environment for them anymore you know we hear a lot about young people and those that who are university educated that live in cities that rent and shared accommodation we don't hear the other end of the spectrum and I think it's interesting because I, I hear a lot of middle class commentators comment on, oh, working class people don't like this and working class people don't like that. So that's why they vote conservative. And it's not strictly like that. You know, it's it's because you look at Labour at the moment and not that, not that it doesn't stand for anything. It's just it's 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 vision for society isn't there anymore. 
for me, I feel very strongly about this. I think that Thatcherism has won the day. There's no such thing as Blairism. There's no such thing as Cameroonism. There's Brownism, Starmerism, Corbynism. Thatcherism is the societal shift in this country mm. that we saw. People want to get on in terms of having their home. People want to have a cars two cars in the driveway they want to go on holiday they want to have the large tv they want the sky package they want their home to be a palace you can get your amazon delivery delivered like that Hmm. the bashing of the old industries such as mining in your derbyshire constituencies in staffordshire the industries have gone now so what do those communities become they're not anything anymore they're not communities in the old sense they're just places they're just areas they're just where people live the towns are losing their identity because shops are closing down and accelerated by the pandemic and this has created an environment where people just look very inwardly Mm. you kind of vote for what you can get i don't think people necessarily mean offense i don't necessarily think people mean harm to anyone i just think people are self-interested and it's more of a transactional thing when they vote conservative because it's your status in life isn't it? it was your old status you vote conservative when you've achieved a certain status in life you've got the nice house you've got your own your own property not necessarily your own house it's your own property mm. it's your reward it was your reward almost when the conservatives are offering this leveling up strategy and investment in town funds deals and things like that it's port barrel politics you vote for us yeah. we'll invest in your area yeah, yeah yeah and how can labor compete with that when it's it's into its old folky relationship and its sentimentality of the Jarrow March, the, the the minor strikes and things like that. It's it's old fashioned. Its viewpoints are old fashioned. It doesn't really materialise in society now, and it doesn't speak to that aspirational voter in inverted commas. It's in hock to these the trade union movement. They're all political. They don't represent working class people as, as far as I'm concerned. They don't certainly don't represent people like. Uh, my mother who work in the private sector because they're so politically motivated by and large. You've got Len McCluskey who runs the the Unite Union like it's his political plaything that he can just control the Labour Party with, that he wants to play games with it. And it's usually with his members' money. Mm. I don't know where Labour go f- from here. It's sad, I think, that the Labour Party, the Labour government that I grew up under, you grew up under, that brought in the minimum wage... Working tax credits, which helped me growing up a lot, created an environment for me to go to university. It's sad that this party, this once great party, has been reduced to petty squabbling and tit for tattle. And it, it does anger me in some respects as well when you've got the posh boy revolutionaries telling you that how Labour should be run. Yeah. Led it to a huge defeat, showed very, very little contrition. They betray the people that they alleged to stand up for by allowing an environment where conservatives can rule unchallenged pretty much it's a shame really that someone like Keir Starmer who I he doesn't electrify me he doesn't have a vision he has no policies that is annoying and doesn't do himself any favors there's a lot to criticize his leadership for so far it's a shame that someone who came from working class background who rose up to be a very successful lawyer and head up the organization which he did to be so easily cast aside and be so irrelevant it's a shame that he can't have that cut through i've said a lot of things i don't know if they make sense but but labor have been victim to a cultural and values war that the conservatives have and the leave movement have been able to expose and take advantage of and Labour have been a victim of that and they've lost their traditional base labor's new base now is city-based young people who are graduates who are socially liberal 
and more progressive and care about climate change. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that I'm one of those people. But it's so far removed now from its its traditional base. I don't think the Conservatives are the answer for the working class. They don't really care for the working class. They say they do, and you know they make a load of noise about places like Stoke-on-Trent. What do you think? I mean, I, I know you've said many times on this podcast that you want middle class. And, you know, I aspire to be middle class, genuinely do aspire to be middle class, because who wouldn't want to be middle class? Who wouldn't want to get on in life and get on the ladder? It's a normal progression. One of those, well, I mean, it's something is, that everyone should aspire to. Well, I don't know, like, it, it's weird because I think the people who use middle class as an insult caricature it and think it's all about Radio 4 and pronouncing the word scones and hummus. And well, you love hummus, Alex. So you, you're a third of the way there. I also do say scone as well. People, do people, in, people in North Staffordshire do say scone. See, I say scone, so maybe you're more middle class. No, we're coming from different perspectives. I think there clearly is a role for a progressive, socially progressive, economically progressive party that is not just the guard dog. Work limits on working hours, uh, health and safety requirements, and when you have a government bypassing things like take the response to Grenfell and they completely came down on the side of wealthy owners of, of buildings that have been built in a dangerous way rather than the residents whose lives are at risk. In a, in a vote last week or the week before, the, the vision that the Conservative Party sets out is very different from its actions. And I know we've spoken before about sort of the disparity between words and deeds by the Conservative Party. What does levelling up actually mean? You know, what does oven ready mean? What does turbocharged mean? All these other things. I think the Labour Party is naturally the party of aspiration and the Conservatives have, have sort of taken that mantle away from them. The Conservatives are talking about aspiration and it was sort of, do you remember George Osborne's whole, it's, it's the worker who gets up at five o'clock in the morning and sees his neighbour's lights off, you know, knows that he's asleep. That's who we're working for. That was really powerful. And and the Conservatives have carved themselves out, I think, as the party of, if you, do you know what, if you want to crack on, do the right thing, work, abide by the law, don't do anything dodgy, we're your party. They've sort of carved that out, really, of like the the aspirational do things by the book. If you look back at that campaign with Ed Miliband in 2015, if you, it's a party political broadcast, and it was just right before the, uh, it was in the week of the week of the elect the, of the vote. And it was a grim, grim broadcast. It was serious. It was not very hopeful. It was a very dull policy offer. It was like in black and white. And, and then you had like Cameron, who was rolling sleeves up and saying, uh, having a go, taking a punt, that what pumps me up if you start your own business up and we'll, when that young person gets the first job and the first payslip. And it, it spoke to me more back then. Mm. I didn't vote Conservative, but I, I voted Labour. But it, 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 yeah. I can understand yeah, I can understand. And the majority the majority of the public are not as sort of tribal as they used to be. And they're certainly not as, on average, they're not consumers of political material like people who run a politics podcast, for example. Mm-hmm. They're not refreshing BBC politics news. They're not watching PMQs because they're normal people. Normal people don't do these things. And that's not a patronising thing. It's just reality. Most people don't watch PMQs. Most people will not have sat through seven hours of Dominic Cummings's select committee today and most people aren't on twitter most people aren't on twitter that's a that's a really important no one i mean i i I don't like to use my mum as the focus uh, group the focus group but she'd never heard of the northern independence party and all that Mm. noise they were making on twitter and i don't think people had heard of them no one's heard of a party that's run nor no one cares about parties run by an academic who's in the south just because he's northern 
Well, it's not a case. It's not a case they don't care about it. They've just not heard about it. The people who are who are lecturing online about here's how you here's how you win a general election, and you need to embrace the left and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking, sorry, I thought we had that, and it crashed and burned. Yes, there were policies which are popular by focus group, nationalised free broadband, nationalised utilities, and so on. Yes, they are popular. I like a lot of those ideas. I like the idea of nationalised utilities, for example, because people are getting ripped off and pensioners can't afford to heat their homes and all these other horrendous things that are happening in 2021 in one of the richest countries in the world that should not be happening. So on the one hand, I'm saying I think the 2019 manifesto scared a few people, a lot of people away because it, it, it was radical. I really liked it. Same. Yeah. but and 20, lot- I like the 2017 manifesto more. More. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good manifesto. But And the people who are particularly visceral online about how much they despise Keir Starmer and are obsessed with Keir Starmer and, and will say that basically you need a Corbyn 2.0 or often need Corbyn again. I would love to see fly on the wall footage of them knocking on doorsteps saying exactly the same thing to people face to face because that's not what people think. People were scared of Jeremy Corbyn becoming prime minister because of things that he had said. They had seen the video of him calling Hezbollah and Hamas friends. You don't need a certain background to find that an extremely concerning thing from someone who wants to be prime minister, especially when you can also find footage of repeated times when Cameron asked him, PMQs, to take that back, and he didn't. People don't didn't like telling the working class what they should think, and that was the problem. I think at the heart of this, there are some, some very well-meaning but nonetheless extremely patronizing and toxic individuals that are the loudest voices within a large group of well-meaning good-hearted people who do want to change the country but there is still a disconnect with the actual working class i think sort of it's become studentified student politicsified whatever you want to say it to the point where you know we have the likes of richard richard bergen is one of the most popular people in the party which is bizarre because he's 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 so obviously crap and he said zionists are the enemies of peace and all this other stuff and you think god i honestly think it is this telling the working class what they want not listening to them when they say something that's uncomfortable about immigration about brexit whatever i know i'm talking about working classes if it's a monolith but i'm talking i'm thinking about majorities here in terms of policies that would be popular in working class areas things about non-university routes to getting a good job, uh, getting on the housing ladder. People want to buy their own homes rather than rent a council house. Right to buy was popular. My my family is ex- extremely averse to to Thatcher and Thatcherism, but nonetheless, my grandparents bought their council house. I think there's a, I think there's a criticism I would have with that policy in mm. that it was just a one time one off sell. It, oh yeah, money was never invested back into housing, which yeah. should have been yeah as a rolling 100% policy. Of, agree. Hundred percent agree with you there. You buy, you build the house. Person lives in it for a while. You sell it. You build another house. That's what the policy exchange came out with a few years ago, didn't they? they yeah, but I, I think the thing is with what, if we go back to George Osborne, what did he effectively tell everyone? There's no money left. Liam Byrne said it himself. There's no money left, and he was a poor candidate for West Midlands mayor. Let's not get into that. Let's 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 not get into that. that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, when when he left that note, and Cameron was wagging it around in 2015, and Osborne was saying they were fixing the roof whilst the sun was shining, and we needed to make austerity cuts, and working class poorer people felt those cuts Mm. more. Mm. On their services that they depended upon. Absolutely. If you had a manifesto, which yes, the policies. As an individual, as a policy, the utilities being uh, publicly owned, yes, that is po- that is a, a popular policy. Free broadband for everyone. You get every single policy. 
as a collective. That person then asks on the street about who's had to feel austerity over the past 10 years. Well, how are we going to afford it? How are we going to pay for it? I, mm. I don't want to live through another... Magic money tree. Yeah. That's why that, that, that manifesto was, was unpopular. Because they were, doing it, they were bringing out policies every single day. Where I think Labour can come back positively and appeal to the working class, yes, it's not a working class party anymore. The party is a big umbrella which has many competing wings and factions that have different interests of what they want to see, whether that's climate change, the NHS, more equality and racial equality in the country, LGBT rights, that they don't feel that are represented by a conservative government. I think if the Labour Party was had its head on, and itself it would announce a policy would announce policies in hammer than home which can appeal to the to the social conservative and to the more progressive wing and that could be on crime and it could be on having just a radical sensible vision akin to 2017 taking the democrats ideas in america of being a unified party to get rid of the big enemy and the republicans having a progressive agenda and a vision and an interventionist vision which can pump trillions at well billions into the economy in this country mm. and could have a, a establish a true leveling up agenda where it benefits the entire country not just a select few areas just to, to be devil's advocate though alex isn't that isn't that effectively what the, the 2019 manifesto was saying about this sort of true leveling up and, and pumping money back into it this redistribution and, and this sort of aspirational this national education i really love the idea of a national education service that is such a good idea and it makes an awful lot of sense to be honest i don't i don't buy that corbyn was this big ill in the country he had many flaws john mcdonnell had many flaws but behind the history of john mcdonnell and you can't excuse that there's a lot of baggage there Mm. he's rightly he's rightfully been crucified by that but he was one of the most thoughtful amiable uh, collegiate speakers and thinkers in the Labour Party during those Corbyn years. Really, he must be kicking himself that he made comments that he did throughout his political career, that he did because he thought he wasn't going to get anywhere. Because mm. he, he would have had a lot of appeal to people. And when I speak, I speak to my family, they, they liked him because he was genial, he was warm, he was accommodating. He wasn't like Corbyn, who was petulant and snappy in interviews. And he wasn't like Starmer, who seems quite cold. Yeah, and I think John McDonnell had a lot of policies, and I think he could have appealed to to broad swathes of Mm. voters. And, you know, I think Labour needs to redefine its purpose. It needs to have an agenda that's sensible but how does it get that hearing is is difficult because there's too many people now that have created an environment that's very hostile for Labour that's on the left of the party that's externally Mm -hmm. outside the party it's in the middle of the party it's it's such a bruised and battered beast that it's Mm. it could well be terminal for Labour I don't see Starmer being Prime Minister I just don't see it I think there's some some opposition leaders you and you know in your heart of hearts aren't going to be Prime Minister Ian Duncan Smith clearly wasn't going to be Prime Minister William Hague was not going to be Prime Minister Keir Starmer I do not think will be Prime Minister and I don't really know who can take Labour forward. I just, there's always an issue. I mean, I, I feel that Andy Burnham perhaps dent the Tories running in the North. I don't know how much appeal he'll have in the South. Mm-hmm. He's got a London, he's got a London Evening Standard weekly article. And I think is with the intention of being a Labour leader, I'm sure. And it's interesting because if you watch, I mean, I'm sad enough to watch the 2005 general election. 
the Tories had the mindset of, all right, we've lost three in a row, and on the morning of that defeat of their third hat-trick loss, one more heave, and we'll do it. And it's all it's going to take. It's one more heave. Yeah. And they did. And it's it's interesting when you're up against that kind of that hubris that you're the one that really deserves to govern. It's just we've got another thing in at the moment. We just kind of need to wait our turn. Mm. Whereas when it's with the Tories are in government, Labour views everything emotionally. It's true. When you, when you talk with, with friends who are Tories after, after the election, generally they're not as like live or die as Labour or people on the left anyway. They certainly have fewer red lines for other people on that side of the fence, whereas the left is notorious for fracturing again and again and again and again and again. You know, you have people who stuck with Labour, like I said, the last podcast, stuck with Labour through Iraq, but for whatever reason with Keir Starmer, they've had enough and they're out. They can't stand him. He's crossed a certain red line for them. Obviously, I don't know what should be done. I think that it should go... I know there are a lot of people saying it needs to go, needs to embrace the left and that this is... Often it's in quite a patronising way that look what's happened to parties similar to, to Labour around the world. Don't say I didn't warn you. There is another way around it, which is to become a big tent party or big tent movement. And I think in order to do that and to get some legitimacy, it needs to work with others. And by that, I do mean the Lib Dems and I do mean the Greens in order to push through some actual electoral reform when, when it gets in. Because then you're having a different conversation when you have real proportionate votes. Because we talk about the Tories, I know what you mean in terms of like the Tories view themselves as the natural party of Britain, but that's just because the voting system that we've had, you give people the same voting system that we have for mayoral elections and it completely changes the landscape because the Tories have a plurality of support. They don't have a majority of support. And I know you know this because they have more than other parties, even though they don't have a majority. It feels like it's a more conservative country than it than it truly is. And I think that by embracing this big tent approach and by sort of not pandering to the fringes, because it's the fringes that lost it, it's the people who, who talked down to the very communities that they're then blaming them for not voting. You see it online. I know Twitter isn't the world and the world isn't Twitter, but people saying stupid people in Hartlepool, they deserve everything they get. And you think, well, f-ing hell, no wonder they're not going to vote for the party that you want them to because you just insulted them. This is this is what happened with the response to the Brexit, ref- well, the build up to and the, and the aftermath of the Brexit referendum. This is what happens around conversations around immigration that's since forever. You were racist if you want immigration controls. We're talking down to people. I'm not shocking you personally, Alex, just people who share exactly your views. And then I'm going to be shocked when you don't vote for me. Well, exactly. It's deeply, deeply patronising. Deeply patronising. It doesn't work. Remember in The Simpsons where Homer finds his long lost brother? Her pal. <laughs> pal. Homer designs a car. And it bankrupts Herb's business because Homer does everything that he, that he wants to do without actually thinking about what the, what the public wants to buy. That is the Labour Party in 2019. By having Jeremy Corbyn, by having those policies in that manifesto, not putting the key policies front and centre, the things that got the most attention was the free broadband and the utilities being nationalised. It wasn't things like reversing the police cuts and adding more. It wasn't things like hiring more teachers. These things didn't get the airtime. And we ended up with Homer's car. and People didn't want it. And it f- the party. I don't think pandering to the people who insult others is the way to go. There's three things there. I think Labour have been defeated enough times where there's that negative perception amongst a lot of people that they lose a lot. 
mm. and the brand is weak because they they lose a lot and they get a kicking every general election. And yes, twenty seventeen was uh, should be praised really the result because no Labour lost, mm. the Tories didn't win. All right, they won the popular vote, but in the parliamentary seats, they did not win. And Labour also uh, were 20 percent behind when that election was called, and got a hung parliament, were very, very close to yep. winning that election. And they should, they, the, Corbyn should be praised for that. Mm-hmm. I think he should have probably stood aside after that, and he would have been seen as a very principled left winger who denied the Tories their victory and their hubris. The Brexit battles should have been handed over to someone who could have navigated the Brexit wars. Any leader would have struggled because, again, Labour's choice was just oh so more difficult what they needed to do. Also, I think with Labour as well and social policy, the services and things like that, they've all been devolved. Mm-hmm. They've all been devolved to the parliaments in Wales and uh, Scotland. And therefore, those voters don't have a say almost on what happens in terms of English social policy and services and education and health. Conservative policies such as home home office and defence policy, they're more stronger for the Tories, which means that they get more, they're more popular in somewhere like Wales, mm. where they can win seats. And then they don't win them in the, when the, the, the policies of the social policy nature, the Welsh Labour government wins. And the SNP win that unique situation that Scotland's in at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's my third point. Also with Labour, they're very sentimental of their, their almost wins. Their 1992 general election defeats their mm-hmm. 29... Their, it wasn't really, but they're very sentimental over 2017. Very, very sentimental over 2017. As if, you know, they still lost. And Tories did increase their vote to a considerable amount. Theresa May was panned after the election. She added two, like two and a bit million onto her vote. Johnson only got like added only what three hundred thousand onto his vote in twenty nineteen. He won an absolute landslide. So mm. Theresa May deserves some praise how she governed the party in her sense and was able to woo a lot of working class voters over in Macclesfield in northeast Derbyshire in Stoke on Trent South. Yeah. They made gains. She was the real sort of first blue bricks in the blue in the in the uh, first red bricks in the red in the red wall. Blue bricks in the red blue wall. Br- exactly. So you look at Ed Miliband. He apologised for the last Labour government. As soon as he became leader, he apologised. He helped sow this negative mindset in people with Labour because well, they were we have to we had to apologise for being a government. But then do you remember when there was the TV debate and, and a member of the audience asked him, do you think Labour spent too much money? And he said, no. And I, I remember watching it and thinking, you've Ed, that's it. That, that's but a very difficult question. But they didn't. That's I difficult, agree. They, they, I agree. They didn't. They but didn't. that's the wrong answer to give on national TV when the public Our, thinks you did. People, if you want to come across as, as a fiscally responsible party and... They were, and Labour was not to blame for the global financial crisis and the subprime mortgage in the US, even though loads of people blamed Labour f- for that. Well, exactly. You know, just like they blame loads of incumbent parties all around the world for that. That's what people think. That's what the papers have been pandering. Whatever. Fine. That's the reality. If you say no, but nobody's listening to the rest of you. You said no. That's the main thing, which is a fundamentally at odds what we all think. So I can't trust you you've crossed a red line. And again, I, I think that, that comes back to not actually talking with the communities. There's this belief amongst amongst a lot of people, especially amongst the, the loudest voices in the Labour Party, that they and the working class are one and they are speaking for the working class. I don't think they are because voting doesn't seem to be going that way. You know, at the last, at the last election, 48% of people in, in the 
C2 and the DE classes, which are like the inverted commas working class communities, 48% Tory, 33% Labour. That's a massive lead for the Tories in what should, inverted commas, be Labour voters. They're clearly not listening to the working class. But those voters are, by and large, homeowners. Yeah. Could you argue that they aren't actually working class and someone like Grace Blakely with her research, that the, the new working class is actually the per- person who is the working age that lives in your cities, is paying out their huge rents to live in a, in a city flat. Are they the working class now? Say you have got into a grad scheme and you're a new graduate and you're earning 24000 are, are you the working class voter now? But you've, even though you are a graduate and you've gotten into a grad scheme with many opportunities and you're living in a, you're living in a city with a vibrant metropolitan city with more opportunities, more cultural capital, are you the working class voter now? And would you have been financially better off being a plumber? Probably. Probably, but is that is that the working class voter now? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. And and talking with people in Spain is very interesting because there's there's a very different concept of class here. There's obviously a big wealth disparity, massive, especially considering the high unemployment rate here. But the concept of class is not nearly the same. I think we are obsessed and I think we fetishize class and we assume an awful lot about somebody's morals and their views based on their class. And, and essentially at first glance, and first impressions based on their accent, it's just silly because it's it's so uncritical. It's so uncritical. And, and we're not thinking, what does class mean? Perhaps class has changed. The people who have led the Labour Party in recent years have not been working class. Keir Starmer is the first one who came from a working class background in a long time. Jeremy Corbyn wasn't. Ed Miliband wasn't. Uh, Tony Blair certainly wasn't. We're in this weird situation where where we've had great leaders in the party and not so great leaders, but, but great leaders like and successful leaders like Clement Attlee, who had a very privileged upbringing. Leaders who led to crushing defeats like Michael Foote, who also had a privileged upbringing. When you've won about the fetishization of class, I think it comes it comes back to our, certainly, I don't know what it's like in Spain, but certainly in this country in particular, it's very, oh, you need to buy a house, you need to buy a property, you need to get on the property ladder, like now, ASAP. Yeah. It's the country we've lived in for the past 40, uh, 42 years that we mm. hold so dear this materialistic obsession with having things and materialistic <laughs> Uh, be materialistic and that class mm. thing comes into it because well if you're working class you downtrodden you you're not going to get on in life but if you're middle class and you say you're middle class then i mean you might not have then you have achieved you've you've gotten on in life a symptom isn't it rather than a cause it's like there are these milestones do you have a car are you paying a mortgage rather than renting have you gone to university all, you know, all these, all these various sort of milestones, easy to see concrete milestones where an increasing number of people are achieving them. There, are, There is a huge swathe of society that's being left behind, but there are enough people who are seeing their material wealth and material possessions improve from what their parents had. Mm. And so it's better than their own childhood. And they're thinking, well, do you know what? Things are not going too bad. So why would I want this? Pro- why would I want to risk this progress stopping or changing? because things are moving in the right direction. Okay, you might be a new graduate on on 20 grand, say. And okay, so you've gone to university. That's good. But I, I but I'm not going to be on 20 grand forever. And I know I'm not. But that's not the business of the government. I, I know what I need to do to to get more money or to to retrain or to do whatever. There's less of a call on government. I really don't know. I I know we've had like a rambling conversation of of what the point is 
like what does Labour do and so on. And I, I honestly think it, it needs to get into power first off. It needs to get into power to to do anything, and to do that under our electoral system, it needs to be big tent and work with others to do that, and then change the electoral system be, to be more proportionate to better reflect the will of the people to steal a phrase and to have like a transferable vote system or something like that for me the party needs to have that dynamic policy offer and rise to the challenges of of 2021 and well obviously the 20s 30s talk big on the crime issues talk Mm. big on having more police officers but also talk big on enacting real tangible policies in terms of racial equality yeah talk about how government can invest in infrastructure big bold policy offer of answering the the need for social care and have a plan for it and how they would fund it with credibility yeah and it needs to it just needs to get back to having policies really it needs to get back to policies that are tangible that people can feel that are aspirational but meet the needs of that sort of of of, of being a caring nurturing government and I think mm. perhaps it can do that. And I'm not sure if Kistan was the right person. I don't know. Uh, he might be. He might not be. Shall we wrap it up there? Yeah. Shall we wrap it up? I think it, we've gotten through quite a lot of information there. So I think, yeah, I think it's it's interesting where Labour goes and what point it finds its purpose. So have to wait and see. It is interesting because we're coming from a different perspective. I would say that our sort of our morals and ethics are, are pretty in line really um i don't think we've come across stuff that we actually disagree on that'd be interesting to find out a policy area that we disagree on and to and to hash that out but we've arrived at a similar position from different starting points and different journeys and that's always interesting but yeah you're right we, we will wrap it up there because it is almost midnight in spain and it is almost 11 o'clock where you are and you've got work tomorrow yeah <laughs> and i would have work if my residency had come through um so we will yeah we'll wrap it up there um so it's goodbye from the people's republic of salford goodbye and it's goodbye from me goodbye